KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego Art Power is presenting Indian fusion band Red Bharat, mixing Indian bhangra rhythms, hip-hop, and funk music, March 23rd at the Epstein Family Amphitheater. Tickets and information about upcoming concerts and events at artpower.ucsd.edu. Good morning. I'm Annika Colbert. It's Wednesday, February 9th, phasing out school masking. More on that next, but first... Let's do the headlines. Santa Ana winds and record-breaking high temperatures are expected in San Diego over the next few days. The National Weather Service says the high winds and hot temperatures will increase wildfire danger, but it'll all be over by Monday when things cool off again. The process for creating a new San Diego Commission on Police Practices has been slow moving. Commissioners are stepping down and can't be replaced because the City Council has yet to approve a process for doing so. Commission Chair Brandon Hilpert sent a letter to the San Diego City Council urging them to allow for new commissioners to be seated immediately. He says there's not enough commissioners to keep up with the growing caseload. Typically in an average year, uh, we'll probably close about 60 cases. Um, And that includes everything from individuals complaining that they were arrested when they shouldn't have been. It also includes officer-involved shootings and in-custody deaths. So the number on average is usually about 60 a year. Um, Last year, in fiscal year 21, we closed about 125. Rules on appointing new commission members may not be approved by the city council until January of 2023. Micro-businesses like those offering pet-sitting and cleaning services in San Diego County could soon be eligible for pandemic aid money. County supervisors unanimously approved almost $3.9 million on Tuesday to help more than 1,500 micro-businesses. The program is partially funded by the state. To qualify, businesses must have earned less than $50,000 in 2019, be the owner's primary source of income, and have five or fewer employees. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. KPBS On Demand is supported by the San Diego County Toyota dealers, whose commitment to customers extends to giving back to the community and who are proud to support the City of San Diego lifeguards with their important role of keeping our beaches safe. Toyota, let's go places. By this time next week, California's mask mandate will be gone. Governor Newsom says it's due to lower COVID-19 case counts. KPBS health reporter Matt Hoffman says now there's a renewed focus on phasing out masking in schools. Next week, California's blanket indoor mask mandate will be gone, but the governor says those not vaccinated will still have to wear them inside. The face covering requirement will also stay in place for schools. I think we need to continue to plan for uh, the next phases and steps. San Diego County supervisors adopted a motion Tuesday from board chair Nathan Fletcher directing county staff to work with the state to help change masking rules in schools to develop a safe and responsible path to phase out the mask requirements for K-12 through students. Just up the road in Los Angeles County, officials there have decided to keep the indoor mask mandate past the 15th. San Diego County Health Officer Dr. Wilma Wooten indicated that would not be the case here and says officials will follow state guidance. We would resume actions that were uh, occurring prior to when that mandate was put in place. Matt Hoffman, KPBS News.
DJI Technology is the company that makes most of the surveillance drones used by the Chula Vista Police Department, and it's once again in the news for ties to the Chinese government. KPBS's Amitha Sharma says new reporting reveals investors with direct connections to Beijing are funding DJI. The Department of Homeland Security claims DJI gave critical U.S. infrastructure and law enforcement data to the Chinese government. Now, the Washington Post has reported that four entities, either run or owned by the Chinese government, have invested in DJI. Jim Lewis of the Washington D.C.-based Center for Strategic and International Studies says the news only confirms his suspicions. We know the Chinese love surveillance and are engaged in massive collection of intelligence against Americans. We also know there's a Chinese law that says any company that's asked to cooperate in providing intelligence has no choice and must do so. Lewis says DJI indisputably makes great drones, but those who use them cannot be sure who is watching, leaving police agencies like Chula Vista PD with only one choice. They need to swap out the DJI drones. Chula Vista has eight DJI drones that it uses to respond to 911 calls. Mayor Mary Salas did not respond to a request for comment. In a statement, DJI said the Chinese government has not invested in the company. Amitha Sharma, KPBS News. 2021 was the deadliest year on record for migrants crossing the border. That's according to Customs and Border Protection. In Imperial County, migrants continue to drown in the All-American Canal. KPBS border reporter Gustavo Solis explains why there's been more drownings and who is trying to do something about it. Everything John Hunter thought he knew about illegal immigration changed when he went on a nighttime ride-along with Border Patrol agents in 2000. They used night vision goggles to spot a group of migrants on the U.S. side of the border. Hunter still remembers the rush when they moved in on the group. We went down and busted him. Turned out there were six little ladies sitting there on the ground, and they had their purses out. I'm going, I don't feel like such a stud. Here I am busting someone who looks like my, my mother or my grandmother or my sister's cook. It's, sort of, it's not like a manly thing to do, you know? Hunter is a staunch Republican the brother and uncle of former San Diego congressman Duncan Hunter Sr. and Jr. Until that night, his image of people crossing illegally were bad hombres and macho muchachos, as he calls them. But that's not what he saw. He saw poor people trying to survive, women and children fleeing violence. Soon after, he began leaving water bottles along the border's rugged mountains and treacherous desert. Then he focused his attention on the All-American Canal in Imperial County where more than 550 migrants have drowned to death while trying to cross the border since at least the 1990s. He looked into who was drowning and found the same thing. These are just ordinary people that drown crossing. These are not the cartels. These are not the guys you read about with the, you know, the macho muchachos. These are not. They're just ordinary people. They can't make a living. They're trying to survive. The All-American Canal is an 82-mile waterway that runs along the U.S. border as it carries water from the Colorado River to Southern California. It's managed by the Imperial Irrigation District. The canal is notoriously deadly for migrants trying to cross the border illegally. It's 200 feet wide and about 20 feet deep in some areas. CBP agent John Mendoza explains why the canal is deceptively dangerous. A lot of the migrants don't know the threats that the water has. What may appear to be calm on the top may not be so on the bottom. There's a lot of strong currents and undertows that can take someone very easily underneath um, the water. In 2010, John and his wife Laura led efforts to install 1,000 safety buoys and ladders along the canal. It was an uphill battle. 
Some irrigation district board members and staff thought the safety measures would make it too easy for people to cross the border illegally. Former irrigation district board member Michael Abadi supported Hunter's proposals, but he faced pushback from his own agency. There was some arrogance on some of this uh, staff that said, what are, you, what are you going to do, just build a bridge so they can come across? I said, not asking to build a bridge, but it definitely wasn't meant to be the end of the road for a lot of people. But then 60 Minutes came to town and did an expose on the canal deaths. After that, the irrigation district agreed to install 103 buoys along the canal, one every half mile on the east side and one every mile on the west side. And the buoys made a difference. The number of drownings decreased. Border Patrol agents say the buoys actually helped them rescue migrants in the canal. If we have to apprehend a group or we have to rescue a group of individuals that may be struggling the water, we can use the buoy lines uh, as a reference. The irrigation district has not increased the number of safety buoys along the canal since 2010. And data shows that drowning deaths are increasing particularly along the western part of the canal that has fewer buoy lines. Irrigation district officials declined a KPBS interview request. A spokesperson says the agency has installed 40 warning signs along the canal in recent years. This is in addition to more than 1,300 signs that had already been installed. Still, 47 migrants have drowned in the canal since 2015, 14 of them last year. Hunter says it's time to add more buoys. Right, the data indicates that they're, they're drowning close to Mexicali or close to Winter Haven where there aren't the buoys. And so, no, that is, it's pretty common sense, right? I, these are common sense things. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to make an estimate that it'll work. Abadi agrees with Hunter, but he does not think the current irrigation board will prioritize this issue. It's not acceptable. I mean, I think we can do better. I wish they'd do better. I mean, if you, they don't like the buoy system, I say, well, try something else, but try something. They're not trying anything. And that's what's so what frustrating today. Gustavo Solis, KPBS News. Coming up, a world-famous Harlem Globetrotter was in Barrio Logan yesterday with a message for students. Also, the San Diego International Jewish Film Festival opens today. We'll have those stories next, just after the break. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, We've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. Female athletes from San Diego State University filed the first class action lawsuit of its kind against the school, claiming it violated federal law on gender equality in education. KPBS reporter Kitty Alvarado has more. 17 female athletes say for the last decade, SDSU has treated their female athletes differently by depriving them and other women athletes out of millions of dollars in financial aid and scholarships. 
Among them is Madison Fisk, a former member of the SDSU women's rowing team. We commit so much of our lives to our sport the same way that male athletes do. Um, we're no different. She and other athletes accuse the university of violating Title IX, the federal civil rights law that bans discrimination in schools or school programs based on sex. They're suing SDSU for $1.2 million. It's the first Title IX lawsuit that seeks monetary compensation. When our team was cut, that was really a slap in the face. That was really um, kind of a wake-up call. Most of the students in the lawsuit are from the rowing team that was cut after the 2021 season. This was hard, not just for myself, but to see all these women that dedicate so much of their lives completely stripped of their opportunities. In a letter, the athletics director, John David Wicker, cited financial issues brought on by the pandemic as part of the reason for cutting the team. And they had too many female athletes to comply with the law. Arthur Bryant, who represents the athletes, says this excuse to cut the team doesn't fly and says the proof is easy to find in the financial documents they must file with the federal government. The most compelling thing was actually the information that SDSU filed with the federal government showing that it is violating Title IX and depriving women of equal, equal athletic opportunity. It's stunning. SDSU declined an interview but sent us a statement denying the allegations. It says they're disappointed by the incomplete picture presented by the plaintiff's lawyers about the support and successes of SDSU female athlete students and always put students first. What's incredible about that statement is it ends by saying we have always put our students first. In this area, SDSU has always put its female students second. Madison says it's about more than the money. I just want us to be the last ones. I don't want anyone else stripped of their opportunities the way we have been. Kitty Alvarado, KPBS News. One of the world-famous Harlem Globetrotters visited the Monarch School in Barrio Logan yesterday. KPBS education reporter M.G. Perez was there. <laughs> There is great anticipation as students file in for the first assembly since the COVID shutdown here at the Monarch School. These fourth and fifth graders are ready to hear a message and watch some magic moves from a world-famous Harlem Globetrotter. A lot of times, bullies bully people because they're looking for some attention. Don't give them the attention that they're seeking. Julian Zeus McClurkin is a six-foot-eight forward for the Harlem Globetrotters. He's got signature moves and a signature message he carries to students around the world to stop bullying. He speaks from a lifetime of experience. Discrimination is a, a part of bullying. You know, there's different, different levels to it. That's one way that we were bullied, uh, you know, coming up. Uh, not allowing African-Americans to play basketball in, in white-only league. <laughs> Kristen Tanner has taught at the Monarch School 17 years. She's seen bullying of her students, who are all homeless or living with home insecurity in Barrio Logan and downtown. Mrs. Tanner puts it this way in her fourth grade class. And a lot of times someone who's bullying is someone who's, who's hurting themselves. And so it begins with learning to be compassionate and kind and respectful within their community. 
The globe-trotting Zeus talks about the ABCs of defeating the bullies with action, bravery, and compassion. A kid's attention span sometimes can be kind of short, but uh, if we can use that attention and use this basketball to do so, um, I think it's very pivotal and we can probably stop some behaviors that uh, we don't want in the future. Ten-year-old Gabriel Salas gets the message for any of his classmates being bullied. What advice would you give him? To walk away and stuff and not to like, don't let them try to fight you. And now the moves the Globetrotters are known for. Mission accomplished. M.G. Perez, KPBS News. The San Diego International Jewish Film Festival returns today in person and online to showcase more than two dozen films from around the world. KPBS film critic Beth Accomando has this preview. Film festivals at their best are adventures that take you on journeys into uncharted regions. San Diego International Jewish Film Festival has been providing such discoveries for more than three decades. It specializes in unearthing nuggets of history. Take the documentary Song Searcher. It focuses on the discovery of decades-old wax cylinders, long thought destroyed, that contained Yiddish music. Fragile wax cylinders were created by musician and scholar Maishie Bergovsky, who traveled across the Ukraine in the early 1900s to record traditional Jewish music. Festival chair Christina Fink was thrilled when this film was submitted to the selection committee. When it comes to the, a film about a new story, a new discovery, a new piece of history, this really brings it in an exciting way to the public so that they can learn and enjoy uh, independent cinema. These cinematic and historical discoveries can once again take place in person, says Fink. We have stepped forward with a hybrid festival, and every film will be shown in our Garfield, which has uh, not only amazing technology, but they've really ramped up all the filtration for health and COVID standards, and then every film is online. This year, a pair of films explore Yiddish culture. In addition to Song Searcher is the documentary Who Will Remain, which looks to poet Avram Sutskever. The sun and the mountains and the grass, everything was talking to him. He looked at the world from a different view. Krista Whitney is one of the co-directors. Yiddish culture, it's something that there weren't a lot of documents online. You know, nowadays, people think everything is on Google. Everything is online. And things that are not Googleable are considered not to exist by some people. But of course, that's not true. Fellow co-director Emily Felder described her involvement in Who Will Remain. I studied anthropology and I knew that I wanted to be a documentary filmmaker, but I really wanted a foundation in social sciences and humanities. So I was incredibly drawn to historical archaeology and visual ethnography, which basically means how we access the past and how we reconstruct historical narratives with objects and landscapes in the present. So this film was really a perfect intersection. Connecting the past and the present is what many of the films at the festival do. Sometimes that connection is simply to remind us about events that might be unfamiliar. Fascinating true stories are the basis for dramas ranging from Plan A, about Holocaust survivors plotting to poison Germans. I want my revenge. I deserve it. 
to Persian lessons about a concentration camp inmate who pretends to be Persian to avoid execution. <laughs> then he must make up a fake language when the commandant demands to be taught Farsi. Conversation has always been a key part of the festival. Fink says that's been reimagined for this year at the Jewish Community Center. We have part of the JCC set up as an old school salon, and the JCC has put some nicely spaced furniture in there, and we're hoping that people will come out of the theater with um, the desire to talk about films and take a few minutes to meet friends and colleagues in there. And I will add, you know, you have to be vaccinated and masked to go in the JCC. So if you can brave it through the elements of our new normal, we hope you'll stay and chat a while. A passport to diverse cinematic adventures from around the globe awaits audiences online and in person for this year's San Diego International Jewish Film Festival. Beth Accomando, KPBS News. The San Diego International Jewish Film Festival will be in person and online through February 20th. That's it for the podcast today, and as always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org or back here on the podcast tomorrow. I'm Annika Colbert. Thanks for listening, and have a great day. KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu.